Hey everybody, this is Pierre Quinn and you're listening to episode number 98 of the Leading Wild Green podcast where my mission is to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. On this episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Omar Harris, author of the new book, Leaderboard, The DNA of High Performance Teams. And in this conversation, we talk about Omar's professional journey, about how not giving up earlier in his career has made all the difference, and about how being an author has impacted his leadership influence. This is a great conversation, tons of insights for both emerging and seasoned leaders. So get ready to take some notes and listen up. Excited for episode number 98 of the Leading Wild Green podcast. We are only a couple of episodes away from episode 100. And I remember when I started this podcast journey and now to think that we're almost at episode 100. I want to thank each and every one of you that has supported this podcast, this leadership journey. We've had some incredible guests on the show who have given us tons and tons and tons of insight and major keys. And hopefully you've been able to put that into practice to grow as a leader. And hopefully you've hopped over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you've listened to podcasts and left a five-star review and some comments because the leader, the Leading While Green podcast has been making a difference in your life. And I want to encourage you to keep doing it. Keep sharing it on social. Let other people know about this leadership journey. I want to remind you that my new book, Leading While Scared, How to Find the Courage to Keep Going, is out. And you can check that out at PRCQuinn.com dot com slash scared. Now, got some great things coming up on the horizon. So you want to you want to stay tuned. You want to stay tuned because it's some awesome things in the works and I can't wait to share it with you. And I'm going to let all of my podcast listeners know what's what's coming down the pike as it relates to the Leading While Scared project. Okay, my guest today is Omar Harris who is from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and he's passionate about leading teams, high-performance coaching, and inspiring more people to adopt the servant leader mindset. Omar is a Gallup certified strengths coach, a best-selling award-winning author, an independent publishing guru, an entrepreneur, and a 20-year veteran of the, glo- of the global pharmaceutical industry. He is the author of the book Leaderboard, The DNA of High Performance Teams, and currently he resides in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and is the general manager of Allergen PLC, and he's currently working on the sequel to Leaderboard. But in a conversation today, we talk about Leaderboard and how what Omar shares in his book can make a difference for leaders everywhere. Here's my conversation with Omar Harris. Omar, thanks for being my guest today. Yeah, it's a great pleasure to be with you today. So, Omar, take us back. Talk, talk to talk to the listeners about about college, about your collegiate years, and what were some of your professional pursuits or thoughts about what your professional career would look like while you were in college. Uh, it's a great question, um, Pierre. I never would have imagined when I was in college doing what I was do- what I'm doing now. Um, I think that for me, I was still trying to figure out, as most people are trying to figure out their path path forward. But um, uh, I had an opportunity while I was in college to do an internship with uh, Pfizer Pharmaceuticals. I went to University of Florida and M University in Tallahassee, Florida. And uh, while I was in school, part of my 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 university's MBA program 
was the opportunity to go on three internships before we graduated. So my first internship was with Pfizer as a pharmaceutical sales rep in Detroit, Michigan back in 1998. And when I did that internship, uh, I really became passionate about healthcare. I became passionate about the impact that uh, the, the sales representatives have in terms of prescribing practices for you know professionals like doctors and and really the the making an impact in my my life and my career and so once i had that experience for me it really became pharma was going to be where i was going to spend the majority of my time and that's where i spent the rest of my career so uh, i really caught the bug uh, after that internship spending eight months in detroit michigan and then a year and a half later i had the opportunity to go down to Cota brazil for the first time as a international marketing intern i spent 16 months in brazil uh, in that second rotation, second internship in international marketing, learned the language, adapted to the culture. And that's when the global kind of global bug got put into me. So I knew two things as a junior going into senior in college is that I wanted to be in pharma and I wanted to have a career that would span the globe. And so that was really um, the formative experiences I gained while in, in university. So so let, let's talk about learning the language and adapting to the culture and how that relates. You know, many of us who listen to the podcast aren't making an international leap in our career. Um, that's something that you did. But what, what about the principles of learning the language and adopting and adapting to the culture uh, can we apply to our professional journey, regardless of where we are in the world? So I think that, you know, it's a whenever you move into any new environment, you, you know, you have two choices. You can either maintain your, who you are and, and stick to who you, your principles and what you, who you, who you think you are, or you can make the adaptation to the environment that you're in. Culturally, when you live overseas, uh, it's very important that you make the adaptation uh, because making that adaptation, making the, making the choice to try to assimilate to the culture will give you the best opportunity to succeed within that culture. And I think that's a principle that applies to Going into new companies, going into new roles, uh, going into new going into new uh, challenges is trying to assimilate to the challenge or assimilate to the environment that you're in. That will give you the best opportunity for you to succeed. In my case, when I moved down to Brazil, it's a bit of a, a bit of a funny story because I uh, when I first arrived, they didn't they told me that I didn't need to learn Portuguese before I arrived at the office. They said I'd be working with numbers and didn't need to know the language. So I showed up. Uh, in my first day and my boss is like, you know, do you speak Portuguese? And I said, no. And he said, well, come back to me in two months when you do, I can't use you. So wow. I'm on a six month internship, <laughs> basically telling me two months are gone because I can't speak the language. So I went home that day. I really was very depressed. I called my mom. I wanted to come home, I wanted to give up, but something in me said, I have to make the most of this situation. So on my way back to work the next day, I picked up a Portuguese to English dictionary and I started defining 25 words a day. Uh, and memorizing 25 words a day. And, ba and basically in two months, I, I taught myself the language. And then I got lessons for a month and then I was fluent in the language and basically was writing and communicating and had assimilated to the culture. So I think that that mindset of confronting challenges, not letting anything make you give up and finding a path forward has been a defining characteristic of my career and something that I would recommend to your listeners is that, you know, you have a choice when you're when you're faced with a challenge to be solution oriented or be problem oriented and solution or solution oriented people always have more success. So was it something that your mom said? Was it the recognition that you had put in all this hard work and this incredible opportunity was that you were in danger of missing out on it? What was it that when you felt depressed and sad and disappointed, 
uh, even from the perspective of you didn't think you had to learn the language, what was it that that made you say, you know what, I'm going to do this and and face it head on for, for two months so that you could become fluent in the language? I think I just have an inherent well of optimism, Pierre. I think for me, I'm going to make the best of every situation. And it's something that's been in me since, you know, my, my entire life. My mother, my mother, my mother definitely reinforced that, you know, I didn't, I didn't come to Brazil for no reason. Uh, there was a purpose for me being here and I had to make the most of it. And she really reminded me that, you know, it's, it's, it's upon me. I, I have to, uh, look at the situation correctly and have the right attitude about the situation. Uh, how I perceive the situation would be, uh, would definitely shape how the situation will go. So my perception of it as a positive opportunity to really challenge myself and grow allowed me to, to be successful in that, in that particular opportunity. So as you're, you're doing these internship rotations in your MBA program, you know, you do some time in Detroit, I'm from Michigan, close to Detroit, and then you All end right. up Brazil for some time. What, what are some things about the world of work that you did not learn in undergrad, you did not learn in grad school, you only really became introduced to them as you're working? Like it wasn't in a textbook, a professor didn't, you, you had no idea this was coming, but you had to, to maybe pivot and learn quickly to adapt to the world of real-time work. Uh, I think the you know, real-time work has real-time consequences. So I think, you know, when you're, when you're, when you're in college, you're in a bit of a, you're in a bit of a, you know, a, an aquarium, right? Where nothing you do really has an, an actual implication, but mm-hmm. you're being tasked with launching a product, especially when you're talking about pharmaceuticals, where, you know, the degree of your, the effort you put in is important because at the end of that effort is a patient. And so for me, that was really what, you know, kind of shaped my mindset around the work that I was doing. Depending on the work you're doing, that really shapes your mindset in terms of what, you know, what you bring to the table every day and, and really being bringing your best self. Uh, the other thing I learned is that no one can make you engaged. I mean, you know, you're going to deal with a lot of different bosses. And in this particular uh, internship in Brazil, my first boss, the one who basically told me that he couldn't use me for two months, he ended up being fired six months later. And I had to adapt to a new boss coming in and no one can, no one can train you for, you know, different leadership styles, right? So you have different teachers in university and different teachers in school, but you know, when you have a different, you know, your job is only as good as your boss is, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one thing I learned as well uh, that no one can prepare you for in university is, is the fact that, you know, the influence of your boss on your life and your work-life balance is uh, tremendous and phenomenal. So, you know, I think, by seeing the transition of one leadership style to a different leadership style, much more supportive leadership style, someone who was much more willing to mentor me and much more willing to give me, challenge me in a, in a, in a more productive and positive way. Uh, I understood the impact that every leader has on, uh, on their people. So now as an enterprise leader, many, many years later, you know, I really focus on my managers, you know, because to my employees, the manager is the company. I'm not the company. The, comp- the CEO is not the company. Their manager is the company. So mm-hmm. if I can really improve the, the skill set of the managers and the, uh, the people orientation of the managers, then I'm improving the environment for every employee in my company. But I learned that, you know, way back when, when I was, when I was exposed to different leadership styles uh, in, in Brazil. And uh, that's that's powerful because a lot of times when we look at how higher education is framed, there is this 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 school of thought that you know you you just go to school, 
you just get the grades. And there are a lot of times where we miss out having conversations about uh, relationships, about adaptability, about how everything isn't going to be the way it is that, that's framed in the textbook or when you do that project um, in, in, in school. So what advice would you have for maybe those in an MBA program? Maybe they're a stellar student uh, in the MBA program and they're ready to tackle a big project in real time, but they haven't done a good job of maybe uh, forming relationships or assessing themselves before they get into the workplace. I think, you know, the sooner you get, uh, that's a great question, Pierre, the sooner you arrive at self-awareness, the better served you're going to be. So the sooner you can look at yourself in the mirror and understand your strengths, understand your blind spots, uh, the better off you're going to be, which is why it's important to have a network and it's important to have, you know, what I would tell MBA students is really make sure you're building a network and making sure you are finding mentors, people who you would gravitate towards who, who will tell you the truth about yourself, not only what you're good at, because stellar students get used to hearing all the positive things about themselves, but the positive mm-hmm. things about yourself are not going to help you in the work environment, in the competitive work environment. Really having a holistic view of who you are, your strengths, your weaknesses, uh, and where you have to develop yourself, and maybe even your derailers, because we all have derailers as well. Uh, the earlier you understand those things about yourself, and the earlier you begin attacking those things, the more successful you're going to be uh, in your career. And if you can understand those things before you begin working, you're going to have a phenomenal success and have a leg up on everybody else, because most people don't graduate with that level of understanding. What has becoming an author uh, taught you about yourself? That that journey, and I know you're w- working on another book now, the sequel to Leaderboard. Well, what has this experience taught you about yourself and how have you grown as a result? I think ultimate resilience, but I think it also has taught me about balance. So I'll talk about each of those points in turn. So I started writing my first, I wrote a novel before I wrote Leaderboard. And my first novel, I started writing it when I was 23 years old. And it took me 12 years to complete and publish that book. And so what I mean resilience is never giving up on your dream. So if you have a dream, if there's something driving you, if you have a a calling or something that you feel you must do, you can never give up. So I think for me, even though there were times where during my professional career, which was blossoming, I put the book away for six months or eight months. I never gave up on the dream of being a published author. And I, I made sure I put the time in to, to, to make it happen. Uh, even though it took me a long time to get there, I rewrote the book four times from front to back. Eventually the book came out and it was a smashing success, you know, best-selling book, you know, award-winning book and, and has done very, very well for a first-time author in the fiction space. So that's the first, I think, lesson uh, is around, is around uh, resilience. Uh, the second one is around really uh, understanding what's important to you and in balance. So for me, writing is an outlet. And I think that once again, it comes back down to understanding who you are yourself and what drive and what really keeps you engaged and keeps you in a positive headspace. For me, writing is something that is a hobby, but is also a passion that helps keep me engaged and helps keep me centered. And, um, you know, it's very important that you understand those things about yourself early on because they can really help you avoid burnout, can really help you avoid, uh, all of the negative aspects of having a corporate career that's flourishing, which is you're going to work a lot. You're going to, you may become a workaholic. You may avoid personal relationships. You may, you, you actually lose balance. So for me, writing was a way to connect back to my, my core and connect back to my, my sense of balance and, 
it, it taught me early I had to create time and boundaries around things that are important to me. And I think that professionals today need to understand you need to make time for what energizes you. And it can't just be, you can't allocate everything to your job mm. because you're going to burn out eventually. And that's not going to be good for you or anybody else, especially if you're in a leadership capacity. You need to understand the things that energize you. And likely there'll be things like exercise, it could be reading, could be, you know, traveling, but make sh- making time for those things is really, really important to your productivity and to your engagement and to your success. Well, how has writing the leaderboard uh, from your purview impacted your influence um, as a leader in social spaces when, when, when you're presenting or having an exchange with someone and you mention, you know, I wrote, a, I wrote a book on this topic or I've researched this topic. What, what impact has it had on you from that perspective? I think it's interesting, especially well, because one of the one of the main things that's interesting about about myself in terms of leaderboard is that I'm still working, right? I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not a, I'm not on the ivory tower uh, of thought leaders. I'm not, you know, in academia. I'm not writing to you from a point of from a perspective that's so far away from the day to day of business that people can't relate to me. So one of the reasons why I wanted to publish leaderboard while I'm still working. And uh, uh, in, in an enterprise is because I wanted to show that I actually do this. It's not, you know, uh, one of the things I was just having this conversation yesterday with, during my media performance review with some of my employees was around the fact that people, my employees read the book. They've read, you know, I have customers who read Leaderboard. I have employees who read the book. And if I wasn't 100% consistent with the principles that I'm rolling out in this book, everybody would know it right away because I'm, in, I'm working right now. Right? I can't hide my behaviors, right? And this individual told me, she was like, Omar, you, you know, everybody, they read the book and they see it. It's 100% you. This is exactly who you are and how you lead. It's really documented. So I think it adds a level of credibility to my interactions socially. So to your original question, I think the fact that I'm still working and I'm actually implementing these practices on a daily basis uh, adds tremendous credibility to what I'm saying. Because I'm actually innovating on a constant basis. I'm in, I'm in the lab every day, basically, at the ground level, making uh, innovating different ways to drive and create high-performance teams. I'm not removed from it. I'm very much engaged with it. And I think it adds a lot of credibility to my message. Uh, and it has helped me really uh, influence a lot of young leaders around the world. I have a lot of mentees all over the world. Um, and, uh, and I, I really, people are beginning to adapt these practices and they're seeing that they definitely work and that, that only furthers the influences that I'm having as a, as a writer right now. There's an increasingly greater number of leadership books, self-improvement books written from a, a, a myth perspective, a fable perspective. Why did you choose that particular position to take on your book instead of the sort of more standardized ways that we look at leadership material? A great question, Pierre. I think the the primary motivation was this is a book about application. And for a book to be about application, I need to be able to show you how things, how you can implement things. The book was written really for, people who are going to be new into management or who are having management challenges uh, or people who work with managers and are trying to improve uh, overall performance of organizations like consultants, HR professionals, people of that nature, uh, team coaches, uh, strengths coaches, things of that nature. So um, I didn't want to be talking theoretically because one of my major frustrations with the leadership literature that I came up on 
was that it was very theoretical and I had to actually, I had difficulty figuring out how I was going to implement these things in the ground. For example, a book like Good to Great, which is one of my mm-hmm. favorite books by Jim mm-hmm. Collins, which talks about the principles, the six principles that great companies who had 10 times, you know, uh, market performance over a period of 30 years. Uh, you look at the principle like first who, then what, which is the first principle in the book, which talks about before you decide where the bus is going to go, get the right people on the bus. But that book doesn't tell you who are the right people. How do you define who the right people will be, right? Mm-hmm. So I had to take the next step and define for myself what is that who for me, that who ended up becoming whom in my book. Uh, so I had to define the practical application of that principle for myself. And now I'm defining it for everybody else because I've actually worked on it and, and put it in, into practice and, and definitely drive results by, by sourcing people who have work ethic, heart, optimism, maturity. And in a book, you can read a chapter of a, of a leader doing a whom-based interview, and you can feel the dynamic. So by being a, a narrative, you can see how those questions are asked. You can see how the responses go. You can understand how the manager is gauging whether the, whether the interviewee is responding well or not. And so I, I think it just brings it to life better than if I were to say, listen, you should be hiring for work ethic, heart, optimism, and maturity. And this is a questionnaire you can use. Yes. When you get scared, you. So I think that's that's uh, the the key. So so let's let, let's stay on that for for a bit. A lot of times when we we talk about developing high performance teams, uh, a lot of emphasis is placed on working with the, the the kinks out with the team and addressing problems once the team has been assembled. But you 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 share this idea of how much the the hiring process early on before the person even joins the team is a great, a a great way to actually build a high performance team. Can you take us through? I know number four is that, that whom and whom style of interviewing, but can you take us through the other three steps of this four steps to, to building a high performance team? Definitely. So I think, I think it, what I had to, what I began thinking about Pierre was, uh, you know, it's sort of like, if you think about the difference between a, a Michelin star chef and a, you know, a regular someone who's cooking at their house, mm-hmm. what is the main difference between the meal you're going to eat at a Michelin star restaurant and uh, a regular chef? It's the quality of the materials, the quality of the food, uh, the quality of the raw materials that they're going to put into the dish. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's where this principle came from, which was how do I make sure that I'm sourcing the right quality right from the start before I even start cooking? or deciding what we're going to be doing together, the kind of dish I'm going to make, how do I make sure I source the right raw material? So the first thing was, as I mentioned before, uh, hiring for the right DNA right from the start, looking beyond education, pedigree, experience, and looking at more behavioral indicators of success. And, uh, you know, for me, people who work hard, who have shared passion, who are solution-oriented, and who are mature enough to deal with inevitable disagreement, if you get a team of people who have that, I can almost guarantee you're going to be successful right from the beginning. But once you get the people on board, you still have to uh, you still have to make sure that you build a personal connection with them. And this is where the second principle I call interviewing comes in. And that's not interviewing. It's inner I N N E R viewing. Hmm. Interviewing is a step that I utilize during the onboarding process where I build uh, a personal connection with each person coming on the team. And this is where I get, I, I go deeper than interviewing. 
I get into their motivators, their drivers, their desires, things they hate, things that made them successful in the past. I try to get a holistic understanding their strengths, their weaknesses, their derailers. I try to get an, a holistic understanding of them right from the beginning and give them the same of myself. So I reveal all the same information I'm asking them, I'm giving it back on my side. And it builds an immediate bond of trust because they understand that I'm asking these questions because I'm trying to help them be successful individually, right? And that process engenders us together. It builds immediate trust. And I have a personal connection with each person on my team. So that's the second most important step, I think, is having a personal connection, a personal relationship, and a personal high-level understanding of the person you're dealing with. Too many managers focus on the role and not the person. They're like, I need you to do this job. Well, you know, everyone will do a job differently. So what is it going to make about this individual that will make them successful in that job? And that's the step I take additionally, which is to understand the individual who has to do that job. So I can put them in the right position to succeed. Then the final step is, so now I've got the right raw material. I have a personal relationship with each individual. I understand on a very holistic level, my, my each individual and the team at, as a whole. Now, how do I put the team to work? That third principle is uh, the leaderboard. It's uh, exercising shared accountability. It's gamifying performance. And so the, the, the big idea here is that on every, in every group of people, there are going to be people who are naturally talented in getting things done, so natural executors. There are going to be people who are naturally advocates, people who are great at influencing positive outcomes. There are going to be people who are really, really good at fostering and building uh, relationships. And then there are going to be people who are naturally good at strategic thinking. So solving problems, generating options, uh, understanding the situation. So what I do is I organize my team into those four uh, work areas, those four pillars, and then I let them lead the team. So th that's the leaderboard concept. So the leaderboard is who are the actual leaders of the team in execution, influencing, relationship building, and strategic thinking. And I empower those leaders to drive to outcomes. And we gamify the process in terms of uh, really who gets to the outcome fastest within their given pillar will get, uh, get a reward. And, and those who come in last or who come in last uh, have to you know, have a little bit of a, an example of, of coming in last. So there's a bit, of a, a bit of a gamifying and a competition within the team that drives that competitive spirit, which drives us to hit our outcomes. So those are really the three uh, really big ideas that are in leaderboard um, that will help every manager at every level hack their way to high performance. You, you, you share things that fall really under the category of, of servant leadership. And I know when we look at leadership models over the years, you know, starting off with that whole great man, great woman idea of leadership, it's really power based. Do this because I say so, because I'm the leader and some companies have found a modicum of success uh, doing things that way. But now, because of the way that culture has shifted, the, the, the emphasis on emotional intelligence about caring about not just the job, but the person that's doing the job, there is this underscoring of servant leadership. How, how has servant leadership impacted your maturation? And why do you continue to posit this idea of leadership? I think, Pierre, because, you know, I, I've worked for great servant leaders. I, I came up under servant leaders. I came up under leaders who, rather than look at me and look at a, a position, say, a, you know, you're a product manager. They said, you're Omar with these strengths. 
uh, in a product manager role, and I want to help you succeed. And and I just saw the impact of my own success. You know, I became under servant leaders. I became the fastest marketing director ever in the history of my company. Hmm. I became the youngest senior marketing director ever in the history of my company. Uh, I became one of the youngest general managers, you know, of a, of a large pharma company in a foreign market um, uh, uh, in, in many recent years. And it's all because of the, you know, the nurturing that you get from a servant leader is very different than the command and control. You know, it's very easy to command and control. It's very difficult to form a personal relationship with each person and to understand their unique drivers and to be constantly uh, coaching people. It's, it's exhausting. It's a lot of work. But it, the outcome is much uh, more secured and assured when you uh, apply that principle. So for me, because that was my example of leadership, that's, you know, we become, we become kind of, we emulate what we experience, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm just emulating what I've experienced uh, in my career that's made me successful. And now, especially now, because I believe we're in a whole, you know, that we're in a whole different ball game when it comes to the type of people who are in the workforce now and what they will respond to. They're not responding to uh, command and control leadership, which is why employee engagement rates are lower than ever in history. Hmm. So, so servant leaders, rather than reinvent some new form of leadership, let's go with what works. We, I know that servant leadership works. And I know the success that I've had being a servant leader and working under servant leaders. And, and so really just propagating that idea is, is, is really responding to that employee engagement crisis and making sure that uh, we're impacting people in a better way. So I'm going to ask you to put on your, your sales and marketing hat one more time. And, and here's the scenario. The scenario is... Uh, I am the director of training for a major uh, pharmaceutical company, and I am trying to pick a book for my interns to read uh, every year. And I come across Leaderboard and I come across a couple of other books. Why should I pick Leaderboard to give to my interns? So the reason why you should pick Leaderboard uh, to give to your interns is because it's going to embed in them right from the beginning, the idea that they're going to have to grow up to become different types of leaders. And, and it's going to inspire them because they're going to see the type of success they can have uh, by being a different type of leader. And they're going to be able to compare the leader in leaderboard to their actual manager. And they're going to understand by reading the book, the difference between the type of relationship that the, the fictional manager has with this team versus the type of man, the relationship they're going to have with their current manager. They're going to be able to utilize the principles to actually influence their manager, perhaps to be more of a servant leadership type. They can, you can utilize the book from the point of view of an employee. You can utilize it from the point of view of a, of a manager. So it will ha- actually help them be more influential with their, with their manager. But more importantly, it's going to, what we just talked about in the previous question, it's going to give them a, a, a something to aspire to. They can emulate the leader in the book, uh, coach Sam Lombardi. And with that aspiration, uh, they'll be able to uh, more quickly become more successful leaders. And what I think is the point of hiring, uh, hiring interns, and you want to build the leaders of tomorrow. And Leaderboard will more effectively and faster uh, hack that process to build that. 
So Omar, how do we catch up with you if we want to get a copy of the book, if we want to find out more about what you're doing? What, what are the links, the URLs, so that we can stay connected to you? Thanks, Pierre. Um, the best way to, to get all the information about what I'm doing is on my website. So www.omarlharris.com, O-M-A-R-L-H-A-R-R-I-S.com. From my website, you can access autographed copies of the book. You can go to the Amazon link and purchase the book. Um, you can, uh, more importantly, read the, the articles that I write regularly on leadership uh, principles and uh, and also contact me if you need any support with anything uh, in your career. So I think that from that one central location, um, we can create that relationship. My guest on this episode has been Omar Harris, author of the new book, Leaderboard, The DNA of High Performance Teams. Omar, thanks for being my guest today. Pierre, thank you so much. I really enjoyed that conversation with Omar Harris, and I want to invite you to check out Omar and his book. Go to OmarLHarris.com. That's OmarLHarris.com to get your copy of Leaderboard and check out more of Omar's work. Incredible conversation. Hope you took some great notes, and I hope you're preparing to pass this conversation along through social media. Hey, that's all I got for this episode of the Leading While Green podcast. You know it's my mission to help you live, learn, and lead with confidence. So until next time, take care and God bless.